0: Be seated. Thanks, everyone. Well, hello. Uh, It's good to see you. My name is Matt. Uh, Welcome to Common Way. Uh, I just want to mention. Jeremy said something about baptisms in two weeks on Sunday night, the twentieth, at our celebration. And just to follow up with that, if you are a follower of Jesus and have never taken this step, um, it's a really important. This is like, by the way, it was Jesus's idea, so that's one thing to consider. Um, it's simply a public demonstration that you're committed to following him of what's happened on the inside. And so I want to invite you to consider that if you haven't. And if you're here and me just saying that, you feel a little ding. Okay. That, that could, be, could be God. Okay. So he often does speak to us and he's gentle, right? And so just don't, don't ignore that. Uh, too quickly. It's open to middle school students on up, and then next Sunday after both services in this room, uh, there's going to be a short meeting that Lisa's going to lead to talk about what it is, why we do it, and if you have any questions. Um, so I invite you to to come to that if you're thinking about it. Well, we are moving through deeper, and we've covered a lot. Um, maybe you're here and there have been one or two issues or topics that have really resonated with you. Right? It's like, You know, that week really kind of hit me, and maybe another week or two, not so much. Um, I've heard that story several times, but for many of us, this whole series has stirred some things up. Uh, Maybe you didn't know was in there, and for sure, this has been challenging. It's been some work, and if you think listening is hard work, you should try preparing for these sermons, okay? (laughs) It's, It's... I've been drained at times, but many of you, you're following along in your participant's guide, you're journaling, you're reflecting, lots of you are processing, sharing in a small group, and I just want to remind you, it is hard work, but it's worth it. And we've heard so many stories, and I could share my own, of of insights or of steps people have taken. I, I think even the word breakthrough for some of us is actually not too strong of a word. So that said, as we approach the end of Deeper, we've got a few weeks to go. Uh, we don't want to leave you hanging. As we've been saying, it, growth in emotional health is an ongoing process. This is not a once-and-done thing. I'm sorry to tell you, it's not. I practiced acceptance one time. I prayed the serenity prayer one morning. I'm, I'm good. It doesn't work like that. Um, all lasting growth is a matter usually of degrees, so not a dramatic overnight huge overhaul. So keep going. Keep hanging in there. And as we move on, um, just a couple of suggestions. If you're feeling stuck, we invite you at any time to talk to any of us, our, our pastors on staff. We'd be glad to listen. We'd be honored to pray with you. Maybe for some of you, you, you might need to seek professional counseling, so that would not be me. Um, and I, look, I'm, I'm not somebody who goes so far to say everybody has to be, our, our culture is pretty therapeutic in some ways on that regard i'll just say i know that i need it okay so how about that and then number three maybe for you it could be talking to like a trusted friend the point is we, we just don't want you to do this alone all right well in one of his opening lines in the sermon on the mount jesus says blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of god he says, blessed, and we talked before, another word, maybe a better translation even, is the word flourishing. Flourishing are those who go about making peace in the world around them. In other words, those who actively pursue making peace in the context of their relationships or between two groups of people or anywhere there is fighting or discord. What this means is that part of becoming like Jesus, living in his vision of human flourishing, he called it the kingdom of God, means that we're learning to pursue peace. Now, this would be really easy if it weren't for one sort of inconvenient reality, the fact that other people exist. It'd be so easy uh, otherwise. We all know that socially, politically, there are all kinds of, of issues, tensions, divisions all around us in terms of politics and opinions and issues, with the unfortunate social media rants and nasty comments and people ripping each other apart. Um, There are about as many opinions as there are people. I mean, you name it, and we'll find a way to fight over it. Um, And so I think it's safe to say, in general, there is no shortage of things that we can find to fight over, and... We seem to consistently demonstrate that we don't actually know how to do this in a way that's productive or civil or healthy. But peacemaking is actually more personal than that. It's not just out there. It's not just online. This also includes our our personal relationships. The fact that few things affect our sense of well-being more than our relationships and how they're going I've heard it said, and I think it's pretty true, that the quality of our relationships sort of equals the quality of our lives. I mean, if your relationships, your friend, roommate, spouse, significant other, coworkers if those are going well, you tend to have a sense of generally of well-being, of peace. I mean, if you're getting along with the people around you, you breathe a little easier, you're less anxious, like life is going all right. Actually, when your relationships are going well, you may not even be aware of this because often when that's the case, we take it for granted. But when something's off in one of our close relationships, someone at home, someone you work with, you spend a lot of time with this person, if there's tension, if there's this undercurrent of misunderstanding or or hurt feelings or frustration, if emails have been exchanged, Words have been spoken. Doors have been slammed. I mean, doesn't doesn't that color everything for you? Like you you can't sleep as well. Your mind won't stop churning. We have this knot in our stomach. It it just weighs really heavily on us. And so a lack of peace in any significant relationship will ultimately threaten your overall sense of well-being, your overall peace. Now, here is where this gets interesting we all have different responses to these tensions. We handle it differently based on our upbringing, based on our personality, our wiring. Some of us, when it comes to conflict, we really don't like it. We avoid it like it's the end of the world. We, and I won't make you raise your hand because that feels like a conflict. Uh, (laughs) We retreat, we disappear, just make it go away. Meanwhile, we bottle up our hurt in our resentment, where it sits quietly smoldering beneath the surface, only to someday erupt or show up uh, and something gives. Others of us, it's almost like we enjoy conflict. In fact, we don't even know we're in an argument. I, why are you upset? I thought we were just talking. Uh, some of us, we get really passionate in, when this happens. We get in there, we make our point, uh, we outline our argument with supporting graphs and slides, uh, because we're right and we know it and just give me enough time, I'm sure I can help you come around and see the light. Which of course, of course, drives the conflict avoider deeper and deeper into their cave of ice. Okay. My point is we have two very different often approaches. And here's the really fun thing. If you're married, chances are you married someone who's the opposite of you in this area just to keep things interesting right look again at the word jesus uses to the conflict avoiders in the room notice that jesus doesn't say blessed are the peace keepers no, he says peace maker Which is like active, intentional, something you deliberately set out to try and do. So it's not passive. It's not sit back and hope things just go away on their own. Blessed are the peacemakers, not blessed are the peacekeepers. And to the people ready for the next fight, let's get in there and hold nothing back and bring it on. You realize that being right or making a point is not the same as making peace. In fact, you may be acting in a way that virtually guarantees you won't get the peace or the resolution you're looking for. Many of us have a story about a relationship in our past that's been strained or broken. Many of us, most of us, have some place of relational pain. A marriage, a close friend you don't talk to anymore, a co-worker, and we think of this person, we think of this relational loss, and our heart just sinks. Some of us have someone we hope we don't run into. And so my question is, there, is there anything that we can do to avoid this kind of relational shrapnel, or at the very least, decrease the odds of it happening again in the future? Because we all want more peace in our relationships. Now, the good news is this. Being a peacemaker is actually something we can all grow in. This is something that you and I can become. Like all growth, doesn't happen automatically. We have to decide. We have to commit to it. And then we have to have the courage to take some steps in this area that perhaps left to our own devices, we wouldn't otherwise take. Uh, The Apostle Paul says in Romans 12, and hopefully by the end of this, we all have this memorized. If it is possible, he says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, you might expect the Bible to say something like this. And I want to say, Paul, that's easy for you to say, but you don't know who I have in my life. Like, what about the family member who posts political stuff on Facebook that is so contrary to what I believe, I don't even know where to start? Or... I bet you didn't have a roommate, Paul. I bet you didn't have a really difficult coworker. worker uh, What about that person who chews with their mouth open? I mean, live at peace with everyone? That sounds lofty, it sounds great, but hello, that is so not the real world. Paul, you don't know who I have to live with here. I've joked before, this is why romantic comedies are so short. Because if they went a minute longer, they would run into another conflict. And then another, and it would go on like that forever, and it wouldn't be romantic or funny. It would be like real life. <laughs> I think the hardest thing for us to grasp about these words is actually who said them, who they're coming from. If we could begin to grasp, really, the or understand how much relational friction and tension Paul had in his life, and yet he still said this, it makes this a lot more meaningful. Remember that Paul was a man who in his former life had persecuted Christians. He was out to get anyone who called themselves a follower of Jesus. He even oversaw the death of of believers. And then, as we know, in a moment, his life flipped. He went from being a, a hater of the church to basically a pioneer in the church, and the way that we tell the story, looking back, like, wow, Paul, way to go. That's so cool. You stopped hating people. You stopped persecuting. You, start, you started trying to actually help people. That's awesome. But I don't think we can overestimate how challenging this had to have been for him in those relationships, the people who knew him before and after. Acts 9.26 has this kind of understated line. It says, when he, Paul, came to Jerusalem after this change, he tried to join the disciples. Uh, Hey, can I be in your small group? (laughs) But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. Of course they were afraid. Because here he was, now trying to have a relationship with the very people he'd perhaps thrown in prison. Or with family members, he had like overseen uh, family members of people he'd overseen the killing of, who are now understandably going, whoa, 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 wait! Now you want to be cool with us all of a sudden? So Paul knew what it was like to attempt to live at peace with everyone in some difficult. He's not naive. Uh, He faced relationship dynamics that are every bit as difficult as the ones that we face. And what we see in his life, and this is so important, is that peace for Paul did not mean the absence of conflict. He had plenty of it. As a new leader in this church, he he had conflict with other leaders. He didn't always agree, even with the majority. He got into it one time with Peter. Peter. He had a bit of a falling out with John Mark, another leader. Acts 15 says that Paul and Barnabas, another well-respected leader, they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. So peace for Paul is not, well, you know, we all just smooth over our differences, pretend like they're not there, and everything is wonderful. No, peace... For Paul was something that he fought for in spite of these conflicts or differences. Now, Paul throws in a couple of really important phrases here, sort of some qualifiers, and I want to make sure that we're clear on what he says. The first one is this. Don't get too excited just yet. He says, if it is possible, live at peace with everyone. Aha. There it is. I knew it. I'm glad you said that, Paul, because my husband, my wife, my in-law, my co-worker, it can't be done. I've already tried. But of course, part of this is Paul saying, hang on, it it actually just might be possible. And again, Paul had lots of people in his life He, he would have never would have thought it could have worked out. And he'd experienced Almost the miraculous in some of his relationships. And so he says, I'm just telling you from personal experience, I have some relationships, like healthy ones, characterized by mutuality, by kindness, that I never would have expected. And so that's the good news. It just might be possible, but it might not be possible. And maybe you have people where you'd say, you know what? Look, I've tried. But it hasn't gone very well. And if I knew something else to do, I would do it. Now, there's more to this because Paul adds a phrase right in the middle of the command. And this, I got to tell you, is the kicker. He says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you. In other words, I don't know if it's going to be possible. But again, Paul, I've seen situations where I didn't think it could ever happen, and it's happening. I have other situations where I would have thought we could have worked it out, and so far, that hasn't been the case. But Paul could say, I have done everything that I can do to pursue peace with every person in my life. As far as it depends on you, I hate that. (laughs) That's a really powerful phrase. Especially the you part of that. Because for most of us, if you're like me, whenever there's tension, whenever there's friction, where do you spend most of your energy? On the other person, of course, on getting them to change. All of our energy is if you would communicate better or apologize or start being more or stop doing this, or whatever, then we could have a relationship. And Paul says, I'm just telling you, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, which means, it means we've got to do this uncomfortable thing. And we've got to stop and say, maybe we need to talk about what depends on me. What can I do about this? He's saying, before you worry about them, you need to focus on you. You do what you can do. Nothing more than that, but also nothing less. And we don't want to think about this. This is way too personal, and it's a lot easier to talk about them. So now that we've gone there, let's just do it, okay? It raises this question, what depends on you? In that relationship, here's the situation. This is what is going on. What In all of that, and it's very complex, I realize, what depends on you? And here is, I think, the genius of Paul's statement here. Not always, not 100% of the time, but many times, maybe even most of the time, the answer to this question is more than I want to admit. Here's the challenge. Again, in most cases, not all, in most cases, we have a tendency to prematurely convince ourselves that we have done everything that we can do. We've already done our part. In fact, you know what? I've done more than my part. I mean, haven't you said that in an argument? What else do you want me to do? Okay, that's just me. Uh, but we, <laughs> we switch to a posture, having convinced ourselves, maybe prematurely that we've done this, to Okay, well now they are being unreasonable. They are acting irrationally. The rest is on them. This is why this question, what here depends on me? What role do I play in this conflict? It's such a powerful question. It's actually the key to having more peace in our relationships. It's how we pursue peacemaking, like Jesus uh, talks about. A couple weeks ago, on one of these really nice fall days that we've been having, I'm having dinner with the kids and we're sitting there in Silas, my son, goes, I think I'm going to ride my dirt bike after dinner. And I go, correction, my dirt bike? But yes. And I said, okay, that's fine. And they've been riding because the, they've harvested all the fields around our house. And so they kind of take off, him and his friends, and they ride through the country. And I'm not even sure I want to know what they're doing, but he can ride to his buddy's house like a few miles away. And they're having fun. And I said, okay, that's fine. It's six o'clock. It gets dark at 649. Be back before dark. And by the way, I did ask him for permission to share this. And he said, yeah, pay me $20 and it's yours. (laughs) Uh, So I told him to be back by dark and I kind of get busy doing something else. And I notice it's almost dark. Still no Silas. And I kind of keep going, and then I realize it is pitch black outside. And I'm looking at my watch. I'm getting mad. Not blood red mad, but I'm starting to spool up a little bit. And I, I'm waiting, waiting, and like, whew, this is, okay, what am I going to do? 7.40, he walks through the door and says, hey. And I go, hey. <laughs> hey. You are in trouble. He's like, and he was surprised, and I told him, and I, I said, look, it's been, it's been nautical darkness, <laughs> which is my favorite phrase, for 30 minutes. It's not a surprise. This is, this is self-evident. And I said, you're in trouble, and I need to, because I'm upset, I need to think about it, and, take, and I'm going to come back, and you're going to have a consequence. And, and I did do that. It is very easy in any conflict to see the issue or whatever whatever, this is the issue, this is the conflict, this is the disappointment, this is the thing you're fighting over, to see it as being entirely with the other person. Like me in the situation with Silas. You're late, you don't have a good excuse, and so therefore you must be blatantly disobedient or incredibly irresponsible, but I've got you, and I know it. But Paul says, what in all of this, depends on you. And you might say, Matt, in your situation, nothing. Right? You got him. You're right. What can you own? Where can you say, okay, okay, this piece depends on me? It may not be the whole thing. It may be a very small part. That's great. It's, the point is that it's something. You're right. I promised that I would do this. I said I would, and I didn't. What I said was hurtful. I can see how I got a little defensive. I can see how I kind of made some assumptions about what your intent, and I kind of went off to the races from that. This is the part that I can own. This depends on me. I kept thinking about what happened with Silas, going, okay, what depends on me? Because it seems like nothing, And then, but I've got to preach about this sermon in a couple of weeks. So... And I I gave it some time, and I realized it's not like him at all to deliberately disobey me. He's actually pretty responsible for a kid. And I thought, you know, the truth is, that's always a good question, what's the truth? What's, like, really true? And the truth is, I could actually think of three or four times in the past month where he has asked me to do something, and to be honest, in the moment, I just didn't have the energy to think about it to consider it. And so, a handful of times, I've kind of half-heartedly been like, "Eh, no, because it was easier. So, not like, no, this is dangerous, or here's why, but like, "Ah," more like, no, I don't know, just don't do anything dumb. And then he kind of went on and did some version of that, or pushed the line a little bit, and then he told me about it after, like, hey, buddy, that's great, it wasn't dumb, and that's cool, it worked out, you know, it's like, totally no big deal. And I realized I have not been very clear on saying what I mean. It's me. Hi. I'm the problem. It's me. (laughs) It's from the new Taylor Swift. Anyway. (laughs) And so three or four days later, I told Silas about this. I brought it up. And I I said, listen. And he, he had the consequence still. It wasn't like severe. But I said, you know what? That part is on me. I can own that. I can see how it would be confusing when I really mean something, like be back by dark, and when I'm just saying, I don't know, don't don't bother me right now, whatever. Just don't do something dumb. That would be confusing. Instead of saying, I need more time to think about it. So I will work on being more clear so that you can know what to expect. And he said, thanks, Dad. Yeah, you have done that, and that would be really helpful. And in this moment our trust and our connection was deepened. The reason that this part, again, owning your part, not necessarily the whole thing, the reason this is important is because whenever we have conflict with someone, the temptation is to build the case on why we are completely right, they are completely wrong. And then we focus on the part of the story that confirms that. And then we basically diminish or brush aside the things that detract from that. Simply admitting, I can own this part. I wasn't actually very clear. That was hurtful, what I said. I got defensive. I made some assumptions. Simply owning that. I should have talked to you first. You'd be amazed at the effect that that could have when things get tense. It's like this pressure valve, the the temperature of the conflict goes way, way down when we are willing to own what we can own. I think a lot of this comes down to empathy, being willing to see something from someone else's perspective, to feel what they feel, um, to see it from their, their viewpoint. I hope this frees some of us up. Do you realize that none of our perspectives are as objective as we think they are? I know, it feels like I have rationally thought through and, therefore, done the objectively right thing in in every situation. Our values, our beliefs, our convictions, our opinions, they're shaped by all kinds of things we don't always realize. It's shaped by where we live, how we were raised. In fact, some of you may not agree with my parenting, but I do kind of, the way I was raised. Uh, where we've been educated or if we've been educated. We're influenced by what we've been told, what we've seen, what we've experienced, what we've seen other people experience and the list could go on and on. Um, I'm not really much of a golfer. I play like hardly ever a few times a year. It's just not my thing but I have noticed when I'm playing golf that when I get to the green and I'm putting, finally, uh, I tend to just walk up to the ball line it up, and, you know, that looks about right, and putt, and just uh, done, let's go, right? So usually with not so great of results, but I've noticed that, like, real golfers do this this strange thing, and for sure, like, pro golfers do this. They don't just look at the ball from the side they're going to hit it. No, first they kind of, you know, that thing where they squat down, and they, they hold their putter up vertically and, like, squint. I don't, I don't know what they're seeing. Um, but then he, here's the strange part. Then they do this. They walk around to the other side of the green, and they look at the whole situation from the opposite angle. Have you ever seen them do this? Some of you are like, yeah, that's when I changed the channel because golf is so boring. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What are they trying to find? They're looking at the same putt, but they're looking at it from the other side. Because when they do this, they know, I might see something from this side that will change the way that I approach it from that side. I might see something from over here I would have never seen back over there that'll cause me to see things differently from the side that I'm on. Empathy is being willing to take the long walk around to see the person, to see the situation from a different perspective. None of us, in any conflict, have a God's eye view where we just happen to be blessed with the ability to see everything objectively and accurately. Empathy is being willing to take the long walk around and to see it from someone else's perspective. Notice this word that Paul uses. He says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you. See, maybe you think that you have done everything you know to do. Perhaps you feel like you've gone as far as you can go. This implies a little bit of distance um, and raises the question, can you go any farther? Is there one more step that you could take toward this person? And by the way, for sure, there is a place... uh, And there's a lot of Proverbs about this, where you might say, not only is it appropriate for me to stop at this point, but it would actually be irresponsible for me to go farther. Like, enough is enough. And I'm talking about toxic or abusive or unhealthy relationships. But until then, the question is, can you go any farther? Are you willing to take one more step? Some of us might be in a place with someone where it's like, if I knew to do any more, I would do it. I desperately want this relationship to be better. Some of you would say, if I wake up tomorrow and realize there's something else to do, I would do it. I just don't know what that is right now. Again, as Paul says, this is about the part that is up to us. And here's the great thing if you do that, if you truly have done all that you can do in the relationship, you can, ha- you can actually have peace, even if you don't have peace in the relationship. Even if, because of the other person, peace with that person is not possible at the moment. You can actually still have peace when you look in the mirror, when you sit down with people who know you, people you love and trust, and, and they say, you know what, I think you're right. I think you've done all that you can do, at least for now. Here's the bottom line of all this. When Paul says, with all of the nuance we've just walked through, when he says, try to live at peace with everyone, this phrase right here in the Greek is just one word, and it's the word peace as a verb. We don't use peace as a verb, hence the phrase. In English, it would be like, piecing with everyone, um, The point is that he's describing a way of life. He's not describing a state of being, a passive state. This is a posture. This is a deliberate action, living at peace, actively with everyone. And Paul knows, yes, there's often a cost involved. And I know that's a risk. And Paul experienced this firsthand. It will definitely cost you because this is deliberate action. It will cost you time. Could cost you energy. Ironically, this could actually cost you a few relationships. Uh, Pete Scazzaro says it this way true peacemakers love God, others, and themselves enough, and I love, I've been thinking about this phrase, enough to disrupt false peace. You can't have the true peace of Christ's kingdom with lies and pretense, they must be exposed to the light and replaced with the truth. See, some of us have relationships where, yeah, there's peace as defined by the absence of external conflict, but beneath the surface, there's hurt, there's resentment, maybe misunderstanding, rotting beneath the surface, and it's actually a kind of false peace, and you can maintain this false peace if you don't say anything, if you're not honest, or perhaps if you... um, Allow your own integrity to be diminished. You can maintain the false peace if you don't love the person enough to bring it up, or you don't care about the relationship enough to take this risk. And so, the irony for some of us is that pursuing peace for you might actually mean choosing some conflict. And again, I want to be clear, Proverbs remind us, there are some people who are so volatile or unhealthy, it's actually unwise to have these conversations with them. Hopefully, though, that's the exception. Might mean pushing into this. For others of us, again, the the people who just love to get in there, pursuing peace for you might mean giving up the need to be right. It might actually mean backing down. Being willing to take the long walk around and to see it from someone else's perspective because you don't have a God's eye view. This means for me, uh, forgetting about, and I'm just going to say this in case there's one person in this room who's like this, forgetting about, quote unquote, what really happened. Well, that implies I have a God's eye view on all the facts and all the information. Forget about that. Your memory is not as objective as we think. It means taking a breath, trying to see it from their perspective. I do want to mention that the other reason this is important, how we pursue peace as Christians actually has implications way beyond our relationships and our own sense of well-being. Jesus basically says in John that our ability to be at peace with one another, it's actually evidence that the Spirit of God is at work within us. It's actually evident that he is making us different from the world. Do you realize when Paul is writing this, one of the main reasons he's writing Romans to begin with is he's trying to help Jewish followers of Jesus and Gentile followers of Jesus in Rome not kill each other. That's the whole point of Romans. Um, And you can't even imagine the social, the religious, the cultural differences that these two groups had. You had the church, all these diverse groups of people mixed together, rich, poor, slave, free, Gentile, Jew, kosher, non-kosher. I mean, can you imagine? You think the things we fight about, can you imagine the, the conflict that that would create? And yet as the church was launched, As it expanded, it did so because it was driven by a larger purpose. The point was not that people agreed on everything. The point is that they were unified in their purpose. And so they were able then to go out with one message. Jesus is the Messiah. He's risen from the dead. We have one goal to make disciples together, period. Somehow they did this in the midst of or in spite of their differences. And they didn't always get this perfect. You see this in the letters of the New Testament. I am sure that tempers flared at times, that forgiveness at times had to be extended. But they gathered in homes, focused, unified on Jesus. They pursued peacemaking. Because again, they knew it wasn't just for their sake. The mission of Jesus was actually at stake. They knew that their commitment to love each other in spite of their differences. That would actually be a primary factor for a watching world and whether or not people would even listen, would even entertain the notion that Jesus was who he said he was. They saw those two things as going together. We have an election coming up this week. I don't know if you knew that. Um, Again, peacemaking does not require that we agree on everything. I just want to say that now because there are people in this room, people you gather with and you greet and you say hi and we worship together and they're going to post that thing on Facebook you disagree with and you're going to be, you are worshiping by people around with people who you're going to go to the, the poll, the place, wherever you do that, do that and someone here you worship with is going to vote for the other candidate and cancel your vote out. That's a nice thought, isn't it? Welcome to church. Um, (laughs) How we treat each other in these moments, it's actually part of our witness. It's part of what makes us different. Can you imagine how our reputation as Christians, this is an opportunity, how it would change uh, in the world if if we could get this right. So as we grow in becoming peacemakers, I want to just leave you with uh, four quick things. I want to invite you to think of a person, someone in your life with whom you have some tension. Most of us can think of someone. The first step is to ask Jesus, to come before him in prayer and to say, God, is there anything you want me to own in this? Might be a little tiny piece of the pie. As far as it depends on me. So Lord, is there something that you're asking me to do, a step you're inviting me to take? And yes, God, I've been the one to take the step the last 10 times in a row, but nevertheless, are you asking me to do it again? I think this is really important. Some of us have issues with people, hurt, tension beneath the surface. The relationship is suffering, and yet... It's possible that person has absolutely no idea because we've been maintaining a false peace. Do I love the other person enough? Do I care enough about our relationship to pursue making actual peace? God, is there anything you want me to do? And maybe the answer is no or not right now. Second, we prepare our heart. This is asking God, is my heart right. God, help me not to go into this with the goal to try and win or be right or make a point or whatever. Lord, help me to go into this with humility, with trying to empathize, trying to take the long walk around to see it from their perspective. Help me to go in open to the fact that I might be wrong, that maybe I'm making some assumptions. So I go in with curiosity, with openness. I'm ready to listen. James says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. We often do the exact opposite. That means going in and before you have the conversation, you have done like the the difficult soul-searching work of what part of this is on me? What can I take responsibility for? And then we initiate the conversation. And I will say most of the time, face-to-face, Much as we hate it, some of us, is best. Um, We don't realize how much of our communication comes through in our tone of voice, our body language, and these are things that you can't pick up on in a text or uh, an email or whatever. All caps and exclamation points means different things to different people, it turns out. I hear screaming. You know, in the Bible, of course, they only had, back then, two options. They could write a letter and send it with a horse, or whatever, uh, because of the distance, or they could talk face-to-face. I find it fascinating. We have whole letters in our New Testament. Think about what this means. The letter from Paul to Philemon. It's a personal letter. has nothing to do with you and me at all. It's a personal letter from Paul to try to work out some tension he has with this guy named Philemon. That's in our, that's like the Bible, And it's just an interpersonal conflict. And he writes a letter. In his case, he has a really good excuse because he's in prison. Um, And he even mentions in the letter, he basically says, when I come visit you, we can talk more. So initiate the conversation. I'm going to be so paranoid if any of you reach out and want to have coffee with me this week. (laughs) Oh, no, okay. Okay. but please do, right? More often than not, what I have found is that actually taking this step will deepen your relationship, your connection, the level of trust. When someone does this, they take the initiative to lovingly, with kindness, confront me. I don't love that, but on the back end, my trust for that person always goes like, whoa, this is someone who actually, I think, loves me. It actually values our relationship. My trust for them goes up. What we want is connection and closeness. Peacemaking is a part. You cannot have one without the other. And then finally, trust the results to God. It may not be possible with everyone. And so we go into this open-handed with our expectations. The truth is it may not always go well. But if you pursue peace... If you truly have done all that you can do, you can have peace, even if you don't have peace in the relationship. Why do we do this? Why pay the price of being a peacemaker? For one, it's the loving thing to do last week, to to look toward another person's highest good. It's the loving thing to do. If you step way back, you realize the entire Bible, forget about just Philemon, the entire Bible is God's attempt to make peace, to reconcile us with him, and, Paul, and God is like, I'll give you poetry, I'll give you history, I'll give you personal, like, wh- what form do you need this in for it to click? So I'll do them all. We see this in Jesus, who actively, intentionally, deliberately, sacrificially Pursued making peace with us. So that we could be reconciled to him. Because Jesus pursues us. And Jesus says, blessed, flourishing are the peacemakers. Because this is the heart of God. We, we reflect Christ's likeness when we pursue making peace. That's what God does for us. And Jesus says, you will be blessed if you have the courage In many ways, the selflessness to pursue making peace with others. Would you stand and we'll pray? Father, we ask for your grace and your wisdom and your strength. As each one of us, I hope we're taking a little more seriously what you're calling us to do. In being peacemakers with the people around us. Lord, for those of us here who we've got some unresolved tension or hurt or perhaps misunderstanding we don't know, um, would you give us the wisdom and the discernment to hear your voice, to know what it is you're calling us to do actively to pursue peacemaking? Lord, help us to proceed with the humility that you demonstrated, the way that you treat us. Help us to be open, to be willing to be wrong, to be willing to own our part, to see things from someone else's perspective. May we have the courage uh, to initiate the conversation. God, help us in these moments to not forget to pray about it, um, that prayer not only can that soften our hearts and give us us more compassion, but like perhaps you want to work in ways that we can't in the situation. And then for those of us here who, to the best of our ability, we've done everything we can think to do for now. Would you help us to have peace in this moment, in this season, even if we don't have peace in that relationship? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, as you go, may you have the courage to do the hard work of peacemaking. As far as it depends on you, may you do everything you're being asked to do. You'll be blessed if you do. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.